Welcome to the first episode of the sixth series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Muscat, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to an incredible community member from the UK. She's an award-winning UX researcher, having worked for startups and various public sector-focused consultancies as a user research consultant, with a focus upon improving government digital services. Prior to her work in UX research, she worked as an information professional in the NHS at Oxfam and as a librarian at Microsoft UK which provided her with many of the skills she uses today. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest, lead user researcher at Santander and CX sister, Natasha Dendecker. Hi, Natasha. Hi, Claire. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Hey, welcome to the Inspiring Women in CX podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, and welcome to everybody who's listening or watching along wherever you are. So Natasha, I'm going to jump straight in with the same question I ask all of our guests, and that is to share your story of how you found your way into the Women in CX community and how things have been going for you so far. So I found my way into the community because I was looking for another space to network with kind of people mainly women if I'm honest um, that were interested in kind of user experience customer experience and but would also kind of widen my own understanding and network but also wasn't so focused on design because there are so many design so many communities, communities <laughs> out there that are just focused on design like there's I can name like five Slack communities mm. off the top of my head that are just focused on design. Mm. And there are others that are focused on research. And we'll we'll talk about this in a minute. And I wanted somewhere where it was a little bit more holistic and also mm. where I would get exposed to more, again, women that were at different levels of seniority. Um, A, so I could learn and also for my networking and I was researching and then I was on LinkedIn, then I saw you and you have a great profile and I saw the group community and the group and I was like, yes, I wanna be part of that. And um, and while I haven't been as engaged um, as I would like to have been for the last few months for reasons which we will talk about, <laughs> um, I, I really value being part of the community and I really like the way everyone is everyone's hype person mm. um and also the way we're given opportunities in that space that we don't where it's often harder to get those sometimes mm. in a work or if you're trying to do it on your own um so yeah that's that's my take like, on the like community like what what kind of opportunities have you well those? I think uh the fact that we're having this conversation yeah. <laughs> um which is amazing and also the fact that I'm running a masterclass yes. in a few weeks which um <laughs> which is which is also ridiculous to me because I'm like oh me a masterclass like that it doesn't <laughs> they don't they're not always they don't always correlate in my mind um so being able to kind of be given those opportunities and being and being able to run with those because when you're in a work situation you often have to push really hard for mm. those sorts of things and you have to ask for the time and you have to prove why you should be given those opportunities before people give you those opportunities and as as a woman we know that's mm. 10 times harder and mm. um and I'm really glad that this is a community where we get to flex those muscles which is great for not just career development but for personal development as well yeah and for everybody right because much yeah. <laughs> much to your disagreement that you're an expert in what you do Thank and you. um helping our community to understand user research through our masterclass is an awesome way to give back right and like you said you know the, the, the draw and the attraction of being part of a really diverse community that is holistic and takes in multiple disciplines and industries yeah. and backgrounds and cultures is the fact that we get to share so much diversity and 
figure out some of those um, lesser understood areas for ourselves as individuals whilst giving our expertise in the thing that we do know a lot about so yeah um, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your insights at the upcoming masterclass and wasn't Deanna something to do with how you found us yeah, yes, I, I, because I think, yeah, because I think Deanna interviewed me, didn't she, for something like way, way back. And Deanna's great. Oh, and... it, was a, it was a prospects research, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it yeah. was. And then she spoke yeah. to me about it. And the more she told me about it, I was like, oh, this actually sounds really good. <laughs> and then I looked into it more and more. And I was like, oh, actually, this is definitely something that I, that I want to be part of. Because I, I remember having a really good interview with Deanna, because I think she'd caught me. I think when my previous role wasn't going amazingly, so I was probably more candid <laughs> than, than I would have been. Um, I think at, at a different at a different point about kind of UX and things like that. Yeah, and just for the listeners who probably don't know what we're talking about, because Women in CX is entirely a product of research and co-design with our members. Uh, we did a big piece of research last year that involved um, existing members, people who'd left and people who were interested in joining us. And Natasha was one of those. So it was a actual you, you, say qualitative research interview about needs and goals and how community could support, wasn't it? So um, great that we're going to be talking about user research <laughs> today because how ironic that actually that was the initiation <laughs> point that got you hooked to come and take part was actually all oh, the research so um thank you um for, for that amazing segue um so I'm sure our listeners would love to know more about your career journey and you said there's a few little ups and downs already of like yes. kind of highlighted that but you know you're at Santander now you're in a lead position how how did this start how did you get to to be this uh, awesome woman that you are today <laughs> uh thank you and okay so I've been I would say working professionally in like proper in a proper career for like the last 10 years and I started out as a as a librarian so I was a librarian for the better part of I would say six six years and I love that uh, about you librarian <laughs> um and I was a, like I started out as a librarian in a, in a very niche organization so I was a librarian at Microsoft which is a very unique place to have that sort of role and what it did was that it exposed me to a lot of business practices and business culture and things that even now I'm like oh we would they were doing stuff long before other organizations mm. were doing stuff so when people talk about agile and Kanban and scrum mm. and all of this sort of thing and working from home and hybrid working <laughs> and different communities uh bitcoin you know stuff like that 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 stuff I was already aware of before it even hit kind of mainstream um, kind of mainstream and um and so I did that for five years. I took what I thought was my dream job at a charity for a year. Uh, it was not. And I was doing like, I was doing uh, communications um, and stuff like that. And I got, I did a lot of traveling, but uh, I think working at a charity when this is worth another podcast yeah, another conversation topic, <laughs> is a very, it's a very unique environment that was not that I wasn't suited to. Mm -hmm. um, so then I ended up doing a stint as a clinical evidence specialist at an NHS trust, which was more closely aligned to my previous library work. And, mm -hmm. um, and that was a maternity cover contract, which is great, by the way, because I think the good thing about having a contract role is that there's rarely any probation periods. You can just get in and do the work and not have mm -hmm. to worry about the politics that are happening mm -hmm. around you because you're not going to be there long enough to have to worry about it so so it was a great role and um and coming off the back of my charity job which had been frankly the ending hadn't been really good it gave me a chance to heal and get my uh, get my confidence back and I don't think we talk enough about how 
when you're in a bad job situation, the toll Damaging. it can take mm-hmm. on your confidence, your mental health. It took me a year to kind of get over that and feel like me again. And by which point it was the end of my contract. And I was like, <laughs> what do I do? I live in the West Midlands and in the West Midlands, you either work for Jaguar Land Rover, <laughs> you work for, you. it's true. You, you I work... used to live near there. <laughs> so I know you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're a jailer. <laughs> you work for jlr you work for a hospital or you um or you work for the civil service because the the dfe DFE is in coventry there's a few offices up in i think dwp is in Mm. tamworth and i think the department for leveling up is in wolverhampton um so and i and i was like i don't know what i should do because i don't really want to commute to Leicester. So I saw a job ad for UX user research mm. consultant from my first company. And um, it's a really interesting interview where I I spoke to the manager who's actually now my friend. And um and they they said, tell us a story of something that you just watched or that you've just seen and talk us through it. And I was like, okay, this is one of the more interesting interviews I've done. Um, and then you I liked sent it through... straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I sent through my CV, which I'm embarrassed to say was a very, like now in hindsight, I'm like, wow. It was not, a... it was like, don't get me wrong, all the content was there, but it wasn't laid out in the most accessible way. And um, long story short, is I went in for the interview on kind of like a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon and they called me back at like I think half six or something to let me know that I'd got the role and then that was in 20 that was in 2019 and was it 2019 (laughs) yeah that was 2019 those pre-pandemic years yeah 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 yeah. it all blurs blurs together and then and then yeah and then I ended up being a UX research consultant in the public sector and and I think and it's a combination of things right because you you only get as many opportunities as you create space to have those opportunities I think and I went into this role kind of like okay I'm gonna make a go of it it was really hard because I was essentially changing career completely new um kind of things to learn I don't have a design background. I have, I, I would say that I have a very clear social science mm. research background. And I went into this role and um, I was very lucky that I had, I had a great team around me. Like I'm still friends with the, her and I were still really close. And um, the guy that was the designer on the team, like we're still, we're still friends and we talk like fairly often. And I worked on some great projects and, um, and yeah, it was, and and then, yeah, and then I was in the public sector for a while. I worked at a startup. I tried a role at one company and something after my really terrible experience at a charity I've gotten a lot better at listening to my gut instinct and Mm. I know now that if um if there's sometimes you just know and and I think I think subconsciously we know before we kind of consciously know and there's a really great quote from Steven Spielberg where he says um listen to the whispers and when you listen to those whispers that's usually when you make the right and probably the most momentous decisions that you're going to make. And I was at a company for three months and I was like, Do you know what? It's a no. So I just handed in my notice within my probation period and I left and, and they pretended that they'd like fired me or whatever. And I was like, no, no, I'm handing in my notice. Like, this is not for me. I went and worked for a startup for a while. And then I ended up at a legal services company. And, um, and the thing you should take away from this is that I am, I am incredibly driven and I am incredibly not ambitious in the way where I want like a bigger office, bigger car, anything like that. But I am ambitious in the sense that I, I'll be, I'll be frank. I want the money to do nice things, right? No, no shame in that. (laughs) And the only way to do that is to kind of progress and scale up your own skills and Mm. um, all the rest of it. And um, and because my last job, my manager and I, I think 
we're just different people and um and I lost a bit of confidence and I mean it took like a really good recruiter actually she's a great recruiter and she was like we because we spoke a few times and she's like I want to put you forward for this role at Santander and I was like oh I don't know it's a lead position uh and she was like well, let's let's do it so Christmas like literally I'm not joking Christmas 2022 i had an interview on the monday just before christmas holidays had an interview on the monday and they let me know on the tuesday that they mm. wanted me for the that they wanted me for the job and then obviously with background checks and everything because it is a bank um I, I still can't decide what's worse like going in for certain government clearance or background <laughs> for an organization like it, it, you're, you're looking yeah. at a six or seven week turnaround um and then yeah yeah, and then now I'm a lead UX researcher at one of the largest banks um, in the country, um, if not Europe, actually. Mm. So that's um, on paper, it sounds amazing, um, but it hasn't always been easy. Like I sit here and I, I, I mean, now it's a lot more different. Like it's very rare now that I struggle to do my applications like mm. I like because because I see <laughs> terrible I see it as a game but you shouldn't I know <laughs> and and I think because I've been rejected from so many jobs like mm. over the last few years and I've been to so many interviews that now I tend to look at it as a I get it. Great. I don't get it. At least I mm. tried. Um, because mm. that that really old quote about you miss one hundred percent of the shots that shots you don't, you don't think. that, that mm. you don't take. I think that is so true because trying costs a little bit, but there's a lot to be learned in the trying and the failing, which took me. And I think this is probably because I'm like a millennial, because felt we're not really. I don't think we're taught. We weren't taught failure very well, but. I've learned a lot from my failures and um and there've been some incredibly horrific failures um but I've learned I've learned so much from them and I I've carried that through and now when I'm in this lead position and I have like a team and I have researchers who are more junior to me I'm like oh I definitely see how I can carry through some of the lessons I've learned I'll probably mm. mess up in other ways but I can carry <laughs> through some of those lessons so I can benefit the people around me mm. oh that's awesome and <laughs> I think two two reflections from me is I to totally agree that like the biggest lessons are often in failure like yeah. when you're having a nice time and everything's great like that's easy isn't it but you're not yeah. necessarily growing um, yeah. and I know that you, you and I talked offline quite often didn't we about this career transition and what what to do um and being able to keep getting up and dusting yourself off I think after yeah. rejection after failure after you know whatever these things are that come your way and you know that is it me feeling like when you're experiencing a lot of friction in the workplace yeah. or with a line manager and just trying to keep your head above the water through those times um being able to look back and build on those make yeah. sure for example your people that you're now leading don't ever feel some of those things that you felt <laughs> by being um misunderstood in air quotes um because of a lack of understanding of what you do yeah. you know you're now in a position to change that for people so I'm super glad that you're in this position now and you're leading a group of researchers because I think you're going to absolutely smash it there. Um, <laughs> but I think we've already kind of started touching on a couple of the, the challenges and barriers you've experienced, but what would be one big one that you've either overcome or you're, you're working to overcome that's helped you become the woman you are today? Well, I think that there's the obvious ones that I'm a woman. I mean, that's 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 like that's the big that's the big. Can, I'm you, can I'm, you overcome that? I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's an it's an ongoing problem that we'll never solve. Um, I think, I think in all um, and also I am a woman of color. Um, I I don't know what the current acronym for being a woman of color is because I know BAME isn't really used any like that's not meant to be used anymore mm. person of color I think I don't know people are funny <laughs> about that so I am not white uh <laughs> I am a woman of color and I think I have 
operated in predominantly white spaces mm. my my entire life and um and as a first generation person that was born in England it means that there's a lot of cultural cultural touch points that I don't have and that impacted me growing up and it's meant that I don't ever really feel like I fit in it fit in anywhere and that's and that's like that's a fairly probably hear my dog in the background yeah just, just sorry, a bit I'm of a thing. so sorry um um and I think it means that I've never really fit in anywhere and and that's been hard and I'm in my late 30s mid to late 30s now and it's taken a lot of therapy um where my therapist was like but what it has given you is an ability to blend into majority of the situations that I find myself in <laughs> and um and that isn't something that I thought about because I, I went to I went to a very nice school growing up, uh, really really nice school. And then I went to a university where a lot of the kids had gone to grammar schools, and I just uh. let them assume I'd gone to a grammar school as well because because <laughs> like that was the and I, and I realised that's their mm. own bias, right? They mm. see a well educated Asian girl and they just assume mm. grammar and not that I'd gone to like a really good independent school. So that's that's their bias, um, and I think in terms of my work life being a person of color means that people have certain expectations of the life you've led up until that point and the types of schools you've been to the type of life that you lead um so kind of like personally people are always really surprised that I've traveled as much as I have that I have tattoos um that's that's always a surprise and um and then professionally I have a very like non-typical Asian person CV, which I'm so happy to say is changing. Like I meet so many young Asian women now that are being given the freedom mm -hmm. to not just go and have to study law or economics or medicine. or some <laughs> variation of uh, medicine, right? And I and I I love that. My team at the moment is so diverse and it, it gives me so much joy to see that and I'm always like how can I how can I empower these women to do more um how can I give them more opportunities um so I think and I think the so those are very I think obvious obstacles and I think the other ones I think are personal ones for me where I think when you grow up a certain way you have certain ways of communicating certain ways of kind of just being in the world around you and I've had to unlearn a lot a lot of that to kind of like push myself to like push myself out of my comfort zone and also learn that a failure isn't bad like it feels bad but it's actually not bad um the other thing is that because I have a tendency to be a people pleaser. So the way you talk is often geared around that. And I've had to learn how to talk in a more assertive way. And I got some terrible feedback a couple of years, not, no, like a year and a half ago about the way that I talk invites people to question me. And that wasn't nice to hear. And I was. What also, does that even mean? Right. <laughs> but, but the thing is, when. But the thing is, the person that said that to me, they're a very, very good researcher. And they were saying it from a professional standpoint. Like, and obviously, I mean, it's a bit personal as well. But when I went away and thought about it, I was like, actually, that's a really valid point. Like, it's not nice to hear, but it was an incredibly valid point. And I've taken that through the way that I communicate and I think as a woman and as a woman as you progress you either have to learn to communicate in a way that's effective and before like if we look at the 80s and 90s it would mean communicate like a man which I think is bs <laughs> um so I've just learned so because in, in linguistics, you have this thing where they say you should use more modal verbs. So instead of, oh, I might do this, it's I will do this. I do do this. And I've tried to be more modal in the way that I communicate. So and also things because like even today I had to do something and the way that it was done was just not efficient. And I was like, why have we done it this way? And I said, next time I'd recommend that we do it this way. And everyone was like, oh, OK, yeah fine let's 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 talk about that whereas a few years ago I would never have said it like that 
I would have just I wouldn't have said anything at all or mm. I would have been like oh do you think maybe we could think about doing it this way I was like no I'd recommend we do it this way yeah to be way, way more direct and assertive about yeah. it but, but still polite still open to the collaboration yeah. and stuff yeah. because you don't ever want to because I think I think there's a tendency for people to think and especially with women right that when we're being when you're being firm and assertive well, it, actually... well, it can just be misjudged right like it yeah can... completely if a man was behaving exactly the same way it would be fine yeah. but there's something about when it's a woman like who does she think she is or like yeah. she's bossy or um it can be misconstrued as some kind of like an unexpected dominant behavior and it's not we're doing exactly the same thing the guy is but yeah because we're female it comes it comes off differently there's so much to unpick in what you've just talked um, obviously like I am also a woman <laughs> with a similar barrier to overcome but I'm not a, a woman of color or a person of color so um so first thing I just w- wanted to pick up on there is like operating in environments where you are actually excluded and perhaps not intentionally but through unconscious bias or something systemic I just wondered like did you have any role models that you looked up to no that look- no no because I think and I'm so by the way I'm so glad this is changing as well because I hope that if there are women listening to this and um, if you are women of color please reach out um, I think it is changing but it is really hard because I think a lot of people back when like what was this 10 years ago nine years ago people would people were still saying things like I don't see color and (laughs) that would be okay and on the surface that sounds okay but it is no it's not and it's (laughs) taken me a lot of unlearning to realize that by by saying that you are a microaggression you are well you're also erasing the depth of someone's experience because by saying you don't see say by saying you don't see color to someone who is black or who maybe um, has gypsy, um, who is a gypsy or identifies as a traveler or anything like that, by saying I don't see color, I don't see any of these things, you're erasing such an important facet of who they are and who they present as that actually how can you then say we're being inclusive? Um, and You should be celebrating the difference, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and not just celebrating it, but welcoming it and welcoming, welcoming it, yeah. the the diverse views that it brings because because there's such a great example so um I think it's been doing the rounds on social media which is going to completely date this podcast um <laughs> um but there's something there's a few bits of chat GPT that have been going around where people have been asking you know those questions of like oh um boy gets in an accident with his dad and then has to be taken to the hospital but the surgeon can't operate on him why not and um and chat gbt literally physically has an absolute breakdown because it can't accept that the surgeon is a woman and he's and she's the mother of of the son and there's lots of different variations of this because chat gbt has clearly been programmed written by a group men. of very yeah. white dudes and a, yeah, yeah and a very non-diverse group of people yeah. and that's mm. what and that's what happens you end up and i know it's been written about but invisible it's... women you know so yeah. but it's, it's also like where the source content comes from right because it's yeah. pulling from the internet and so much of the co- content on the internet is again um dominated by <laughs> non-diverse yeah. people that um it's but it's 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 pulling source information that is biased and yeah uh, racist in many cases and, yeah and um, and i and I always I always say I always say this to people like I always say your design or whatever is only ever as good as how the research has informed it because if you're only ever and it's the same with when people get interviewed for jobs because there's a tendency to hire people that look and sound like you which is why I'm massively in favor of having kind of panel interviews and making sure Mm -hmm. that they're more diverse so because candidates feel safe because I always Mm -hmm. say to people that um if you want to get the best out of someone in an interview then the candidate needs to be safe so they can be at their best how are we enabling people to be their best selves to give their best answers and it's just it's just little things like that so when you hear about diversity and inclusion 
yes, you have those overarching policies, but for me, mm. it's those day to it's those day to day things like how thing. people yeah. how people being empowered to be their best selves. How and I think because of my own experiences, I it's something that I that I carry through, and I'm always very conscious of it Reg- mm. regardless of where I work and whatever role I have I'm always very mm. I'm very very conscious of it mm. we get to be the role model now though right because women of color and are, are looking up to you and seeing oh, someone God. who is actually living and breathing and doing the stuff that you wish you'd seen when yeah. you were on your way up so um, I hope I think, so uh, and I think I think that's what it's about right it's being able to embody that thing that you were missing and keep putting the hand back down to help lift the next generation. Um, I think I, uh, so a really good example of this is back when I, back when I was working in libraries and it's a very, it's a very white environment and it's, it's slowly changing, but it is a very white middle-class environment. And I kept getting asked to do all these talks and stuff. And I actually, and, and people forget you can do this right with talks and stuff like that, but you can say no. And I actually started saying no. And I said, have you thought about X, Y, Z person? Because, and this is something that my partner and I talk about a lot is that and I know people are all about that hustle life and getting exposure and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think um, part of when you're in a certain position is that part of the power that you have is saying, actually, how about I hand it over to someone else? How about mm-hmm. I give someone else yeah. an opportunity? How totally about agree. how about I say no? Or how about I educate this person that's asking me on all the other great people they could ask mm-hmm. who potentially would really benefit from this opportunity in a way that I would, but you know, they would benefit from it more. And yeah. I think, and I think we don't, we don't do that enough. We don't, we, we don't like open it up to more people because the door gets open like a little bit and then it's like, well, no, mm-hmm. let's open up the whole bloody thing. Mm-hmm. So more people, mm-hmm um can go through and that's something that I've done and Mm. there's like loads of stuff online about inclusion writers and I I I don't do it as much now but when I do get asked to talk for something I'm always like okay how many other people of color do you have on the roster like if you don't have this much and I'm not doing it you know um, stuff like that yeah yeah Yeah, I've I've got an example actually from of this from um well me which was um I got asked to judge some awards Nice. And the panel was all white dudes. So I was like, well, this doesn't really represent what I stand for <laughs> um, in women in CX. So um, so I was like, actually, I know a, a woman of colour who is way better at this particular area, which is contact centres, than me. I'd like to put her forward for this opportunity. And also so you can start to recognise the benefit of having diversity. So um, in gender and um, not just a homogenous everyone looks the same panel and over the course of the last couple of years um, I ended up working with them still as like a presenter of the awards instead but like this year like their panel was like majority women and of all different colors <laughs> Amazing. and I was like wow you know but being able to see that change happen yeah um, as a result of me saying I'm not going to do it but I know someone who can and pass in the but on to someone actually is way more qualified than me to do it. And like that person has also since gone on to increase her visibility and been asked to do loads more things because she was seen, you know? Yeah. So um, so I think, yeah, the one that it's that privilege, isn't it? When you get that yeah. privilege, being able to pass that on. And and that's part of why I love our community so much because yeah. now people come to me and say, we want more gender diversity in our events nice. or on our podcasts or on our events. And I'm like, here's a whole load of amazing women <laughs> that you can now <laughs> have as, as speakers and guests that were just never seen before. And I love that. Yeah. So hmm, that was a nice reminder of that one. Um, and now for a quick word from one of our sponsors. We are proud to be supported by Kantar, the world's leading evidence-based insight and consulting company. Kantar CX helps clients define customer and employee experience strategies, better understand their customers via measurement, and in turn, improve business outcomes, driving true commercial ROI. To find out more about Kantar CX practice, please visit the sponsor links on the homepage of womenincx.community. Now back to the episode. Um, and then the second thing I was going to unpick here was... Um, 
people pleasing. Yes. Now, I think, because I'm also a people pleaser, um, I think there is definitely a link between women in customer experience and our inherent people pleasing <laughs> tendencies, uh, because basically what we're doing is trying to make things better for yeah. the population out there, whether it's employees, users, customers. Um, but you mentioned something which was around based on a negative experience that you'd had leading you to be able to be more attuned to other people and how you've kind of taken that negative to being able to blend in I think was the word you said Um, but the you know people pleasing is not a good thing when you're not putting your own needs first for sure it's a terrible way to live your life and I also suffer with people pleasing tendencies (laughs) (laughs) um but that you've like kind of turned that pain into something more powerful now through the assistance of therapy which I also have yeah and anyone out there who's considering it 100% go for it your life will get better as a result um but I just think it's it's just super interesting the way that like you're presenting this career journey and the barriers and challenges you overcome as having been able to learn and take from what has been painful in many situations you know, failing hearts there's no two ways about it but continuing to be able to build that into the next iteration of yourself and you know whether it's been harsh feedback that you found a grain of truth and was able to build off the back of that I think these are all super like skills that we need to embrace in being able to continue to make that move forward because you know just to quote what you said earlier you know you wouldn't have even spoken up you wouldn't have given the you know your opinion even and now you know how to assertively but still positively frame why you think something needs to be different next time and I just think being able to look back and see that that growth curve and now be in this leadership position where you actually have some authority to be able to do things differently is just a really great story so I just wanted to thank you for being vulnerable oh, and open and sharing that uh, because I think more of us need to be talking about uh the shitty parts of our experience that have led us to be where we are today oh what not like on linkedin where i should just talk <laughs> about all the amazing things that, that i've that i've done i got up at five and i created a business and i made a billion yeah. by five o'clock yeah. what yeah yeah and, and and managed my household and like five kids <laughs> at the same time i have it all wait it's just not it's just not true and i think there's so much pressure because of things like social media and people just talking about the outcomes the results the good bits that not if people share the reality of how bloody hard it is what it's like to be burnt out all the time what it's like to experience mental health challenges yep. and I, I, and part of the reason I love this podcast is because we can show up and have real talk conversations <laughs> and I know our listeners give us the feedback that that's what they love about it it's the warts and all um but the turning pain into power part of um, of what you've been talking about I'm finding super inspiring so oh. Thank Good on you, Natasha. And I've personally seen you grow in this last year. Oh, thank for you. Sure. In, and, and it's your confidence, I think, that's grown. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I lost, I've, I've lost your sound there for a second. It, it's because I just hit my microphone. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll edit that bit out. So moving into the next <laughs> section, while we're giggling away, um, moving into the next section is to be thinking about your kind of expert area now and this whole okay. concept of UX and UX research and all of that lovely stuff. So I think maybe we should start assuming that we've got a very diverse podcast listenership um, that might not be so familiar with UX. Um what exactly is it is my first question and how is it similar or different to customer experience what are the intersections betwixt oh so this is a great question (laughs) and it's one that I do often think about because I think for outside looking in it's really difficult to kind of draw that boundary and I would say so and just in terms of user research so use so when we talk about UX it's split out into a number of 
discipline so i myself would put myself as a ux researcher but mm -hmm. you could also be a ux designer and that could and that ux designer could also be broken down into interaction design and visual design and i would say vis i would say visual design is very close to what we used to call graphic design back in mm -hmm. the day mm -hmm. um we also have um what is now trendy that uh, people are called ux writers but that's a lot I would say that's more aligned to content design. Um, and I think that's really seeing its heyday now because we're seeing like the growth of um, kind of chatbots and conversational design. So having having those content design skills, mm. I think is incredibly valuable. And then we have someone like yourself, Claire, who classes themselves as a service designer. And that I think is an incredibly unique skill well I did, I did I did I did class myself as a service designer but now I class myself as a CX designer because yep. I metabolized lots of different disciplines nice. into the way that I do it so <laughs> no I no, but I love it though and so all of those fit in to you um to UX in air quotes and the whole aim of it is to kind of surface the needs and wants of users and to design services that fit the needs of a wide array as possible of those users so if you're creating something that it's not just for one specific demographic I mean unless if you're developing a very bespoke product then product, yes of yeah. course <laughs> but if you're but for me uh, coming from a public sector background you need something that everyone can access everyone mm -hmm. can use mm -hmm. something simple as the forms on a dish on a the What's fields that? on a digital form mm -hmm. like are the are the forms big enough to allow for really long surnames do they allow for double barrel surnames and the only way you can find that information out is if you conduct i don't know surveys interviews mm -hmm. you create prototypes and you test those and you research those with as wide a sample of the population mm -hmm. as you can so that's where I see user research and where I see customer experience is, and I know maybe some of the listeners will not like this. Um, is, <laughs> I love it. Be provocative. <laughs> um, I think I see customer experience as being a little bit more reactionary, whereas research can be a little slower, not always, but the if we're looking at discovery work, that's a little bit slower. It's more geared towards uh, how can we like create this? How can we do this? Whereas customer experience is we've got this voice of the customer stuff. We've got our NPS surveys. They're coming in like we're being told that this thing isn't working right. We need to go and fix it. Mm -hmm. But usually problems don't occur in isolation and the user research is about understanding how that problem fits in context mm -hmm. and i think um by the way this has been my experience of customer research uh, customer experience sorry just from the relationship managers and the success the success mm -hmm. managers that i've spoken to and also a very heavy focus on quant numbers so a lot of statistics a lot of percentages whereas a lot of research um is mixed methods so it's a lot of qualitative a lot of quantitative mm -hmm. information being pulled together to pull out really um really good insights because anyone can do a survey and say yes 56 percent of people said they don't like this fine but out of those 56 percent people how many of them have x amount of income how old are they where do they live how do all of those factors combined together contribute to why they gave that answer mm. and that's where that's where the ux research is because it's the nuance it's the context and um but i think and again and i've seen this in like the last year or so in, in different roles like i think where the crossover is is actually sharing more because i think people can get super territorial and super protective of their I don't know, of their data, of yeah. their users, of their people. It's like, oh, I don't want you to bother them. And and it's really funny because we have the same aim, which is building better services, building better experiences. And I think it's about the sharing more effectively and actually understanding what you need to share. Because obviously I don't need a, a relationship manager doesn't need to know that I spoke to that I 
I don't know, I'm going to speak to 20 people about XYZ thing. What they need to know is out of those 20 people, do the issues they have align with what they found coming out of MPS from the MPS surveys from the last 90 days? Like that's what they need to know. So it's about marrying up that information. And I think that's slowly changing and I'm seeing more people that are open to that. Um, because customer ex customer experience as a concept, I think, has been around in larger organizations than user experience. And I don't just mean the design bit, I mean the research bit, the bit where yeah. you do the discovery, you test the prototypes, you get the feedback, and you kind of feed that into kind of decision making and building your problem statements and stuff like that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that was well a lot. No, 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 it, it wasn't. I was actually just looking on the community because someone told me something the other day and I can't find it right now, which was about um, basically user experience was used at a conference one day and then it got like absor absorbed into the... Um, oh, no. Yeah, it went into the world as something that was just to do with digital, but that was never its intention. And I'm like right. desperately looking for the reference point to this. Um, but I'll definitely, I'll include it in the show notes because there's a little YouTube video about oh, it. Oh, nice. But I can't find, I literally can't find it right now. Um, but yeah, you're like, you know, it's the same intents and purposes trying to do the same thing. But yeah. I think you're right, like the way that businesses interpret it can be quite different. And I know talking to women in the community who are like applying for CX roles and they can be anything from research and insights through to design yeah. through to yeah um like customer support and customer service and training and everything like because it's so broad in yeah. terms of skill sets and it's always so different right because depending on what industry you work in and what vertical what yeah. customer experience is for your organization yep. it's always going to mean different things um whereas i think user experience is is better understood because it's been absorbed into the consciousness of the world as something digital. Um, that, That's like, interesting. You should, you, well, I just say this is just my experience. Like, you know, you share, you share yours, I'm sharing mine, where you're more likely to have, um, if there's in-house teams that are mm. responsible for any experience, they would more likely be resourced in UX than they would yeah. in CX. Um, yeah, that's fair. Because also it's tangibly more valuable to because pe you know, people don't have to make a grand leap to understand if yeah. i've designed a journey that's like really easy for people to use it's going to translate to ourselves whereas you know in the context of an end-to-end -end experience or um or even service design to some extent some yeah. of the more salient points around um emotional responses to people is much harder to grasp and hold on yeah. to and therefore um less well invested and less well understood but for me i think like actually it's time for cx to have a 2.0 and that's what i guess i'm working on with our community members and with the course that i'm developing is being able to use some of the skill bases that come from outside our traditional industry not just to use surveys to drive improvement but to use design and research to drive innovation and, yeah. and change because the world around us is being so rapidly shifted by technology yeah like you can't do cx without ux you know you can't do yeah uh, future design of like where your organization's experience is going if you don't really understand and can can deliver against that stuff yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so i think like we actually need like a 2.0 that can metabolize um digital and technology as part of the way that the world is shifting and I think it's just great that you know we're in this community where we've got people that have expertise in all of these different areas to be able to yeah, yeah, yeah. do that but it also relies on organizations not driving CX in the direction of RCX is an MPS score <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I've seen that right where it's usually like our M our MPS score is this. We better bump it up by five points, and that's our that's our deliverable like for the year. Target, yeah, and then and then all the resources going into surveys and technology to drive surveys in the in the in the determination to improve that MPS, which as any as anybody knows like it's so subjective anyway like yeah. whether something is good or or not as an experience is all to do with an individual so yeah. so i think i think we're i think we're on the same page albeit coming from yeah slightly opposite ends but I'm, i'd be super excited to work on um shaping up that 2.0 version of what cx is with you 
um so yeah in the absence of being able to find that quote that will be in the show notes if uh, <laughs> listeners <laughs> what if I want to want to find out more about what that where that came from um but but what is the state of UX from your point of view and I know you and I have talked offline about some of the challenges around um the the current state of UX I've just talked about the current state of CX and where we need to move to what's your view on the state of of well, at the moment, it is completely in, I don't know, there might be people that have been in the industry longer than me that could disagree. But I think it's in a really odd state of flux because at the moment, my LinkedIn is filled with people getting laid off from the giants, like from Meta, <laughs> from Spotify, um, from places like that. But then my inbox is filled with people looking for contract user researchers mm. for ridiculous mm. day rates like the kind of mm. day rates where you're like oh is that what I should be doing <laughs> and um and I love a day and, rate and, job <laughs> and and it doesn't always and it doesn't always compute and I think there's a there's a definite need for and I say this from a user research perspective, I've definitely seen a need for user researchers and I often see a need for use, um, for UX designers. And it's very rare that you'll see people be kind of like, I need an interaction designer, I need a visual designer, I need a content designer. Like it's- But that a, kind of lines up with digital transformation, right? Yeah. Because so many businesses are investing in digital yeah. channels now. That's where the demand for this is coming from less demand for cx perhaps but um but also because it's a temporary thing they well they see digital yeah, yeah, yeah. why so much of this stuff is contract based because they're outsourcing temporarily needing to complete this transformation whereby um they're not going to want people to stay in-house for long for yeah the long which term is which is out. super i find that i find that it's a really it's really odd and then and then so that's like the industry itself and then yeah. when you look at like the qualifications that you need like um i think if you, so one of my favorite this was a couple of years ago because i know it's changed now but if you look at the job specs for places like monzo yeah. or spotify or adobe and you look at what the ux spec is i'm just like that is ridiculous. But is this, is this like, like what I was saying with like the CX profession though? Like the, the job, you could go for a customer experience manager job, say, but the remit of that could be so vast. Yeah, and it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Research like, oh, we want you to have 10 plus years of experience doing this. And it's like, babes, like this wasn't even a job <laughs> like 10 ago. years ago by this name, <laughs> but sure. And it's like, have a PhD, be able to use all yeah. of these tools, do all of these things. <laughs> yeah and it's and it's like what what are you I'm like what are you looking for what what are you asking people to do and it yeah. is it is ridiculous and as someone who likes I because I always I I keep my alerts open and stuff because I always like to see kind of the jobs What's that are out on? there because yeah. it tends to <laughs> well it, it's a good way to understand where you need to upskill I yeah, think it's good weather yeah and i look at um uh so i think really good adverts are from places like bumble and hinge where they're they're ten, they like bumble is always looking for like senior researchers and i'm like mm, what's happening at bumble though like why are you going through them so quickly and um and also big uh organizations like uh bt like bt mm -hmm. has a great team the the lady mm -hmm. that runs the team is ex uh government digital service um i applied for a role at the national grid and but here's what's really interesting to your point they're like we're building a new team we're building a new digital team and we want someone to come in and help build that team and i'm just like mm, but you're offering 70k but that's still not enough for what you're asking us <laughs> to do you. Yeah. In this yeah. really large organization <laughs> um because if imagine going into an organization and having to spin up a user research team and and because it's not just doing the work right you have to evangelize why you should be doing user research because you will always have someone in customer experience being like but we do that already here's your mps <laughs> like what are you talking about what are what are they doing what are they doing that we're not doing and i think that's so sad because i think the two it's really so complement each other and it's so different yeah, and and so I find it really strange. Like for all my comments, I think the two complement each other, and it's just about mm -hmm. finding 
where the two meet and that is something i'm still working on and developing but i'm yeah. like i'm super open to it especially in like the places that i've worked and i and in my yeah. last job i built a really good relationship with the customer success managers and the data mm. analysts that were looking at that stuff and it would be and that would inform mm. the work that we would do which is how it should be and any mm. findings i had i always funneled through to relevant teams i didn't mm. just keep it to my specific digital strand mm. um so yeah the state of ux is really interesting and then and then add in the layer of qualifications because there's a lot of people that have phds in very specific things and they come in to ux and they often walk into roles because having a phd um i would say nine times out of ten means that you have a very excellent kind of set of research yeah. skills and analysis mm. skills but then I've met a lot of PhD people uh with no social skills. <laughs> not just not just the social skills actually, the ability to function in a business environment actually. Yeah. And I and I've seen that and um but that but then you have people with those qualifications that come in at mm -hmm. a level and it drives it down for the rest of us mm -hmm. and you look at the work they produce and you're like but what are you doing? Yeah, take a PhD in leadership and you're at uni do you? <laughs> Like, is it yeah, like actually right? leading people? Yeah, yeah, and um, and I think, and I think going back to the ob uh, the com um the question you asked me about obstacles is that I don't have a design background, so mm. I have often because I I went through a, a massive thing of networking a, um like a couple of a couple of years ago where I tried to connect with lots of different types of researchers around mm. the world, and eight times out of ten it was great. I met some all women. I met some great women. Um, but then I met a couple who, when I said they were like, oh, so what's your background? I said, oh, you know, I used to be a librarian. I have design. background you could literally see them shut down Boss over <laughs> and, I'm just, and I'm just like oh I'm so sorry that I didn't do anthropology or psychology and mm. that I come from an information science mm. politics and language mm. background you know so I mm. understand how people access information which is ironic mm. since we're built on a search engine industry <laughs> um but no you're fine I don't I didn't study anthropology and um and I think that's an interesting thing in the industry where sometimes you have to really like you have to really prove why you should be given an opportunity if you don't and it's and it's similar to every other industry right like if you don't have like the set parameter mm. of what is seen as oh this is this means they can do the job it can be a lot yeah. harder to get yeah. the job yeah but unless that's that box ticking thing though isn't it and yeah I know, I know the frustration that I hear from so many women who are looking for jobs at the moment in um It, it being such a clearly defined set of criteria like you said this x amount of experience x qualification and with what we do I think it's so much more about being attuned to organizational culture being able to yep. um, listen to and tune into what's going on for humans like it's much more I always I yeah. always say I always say like um how good at you are organizing you can learn your any time. tools though yeah. right yeah yeah but you can't you can learn tools you can't influence. learn empathy yeah. you can't yeah. learn empathy yeah you can't <laughs> you can't, you can't learn empathy <laughs> you can't learn how to effectively talk to stakeholders i have seen no. so many people that be the thing that that's they usually at. the thing that cx professionals fail at to be completely honest is um like they just on a one man or woman mission to bang this drum about customer experience and customers but have absolutely no idea how to engage the organization with a commercial view of why that is important and the lead leadership and influencing abilities to be able to carry that through um to a point where change actually happens but i'm really sorry natasha i've just realized like we are way over time <laughs> well, it's okay no sorry I've, i um i've given you some really long answers uh, for you to unpack so that's that's, yeah. that's on me <laughs> No, I was just thinking about our listeners. I'm sure um, they. <laughs> I'd also say, like, were you supposed to be somewhere? I know I've got to be somewhere in a few minutes. So let's draw this to yeah, a close. Yeah. It's been amazing. I've really enjoyed it. The time literally flew by for me because it was so fun. You're super engaging. Um, I love the fact that you've just shown up completely as yourself and spoke as loudly as you like about what you think about stuff. And long may that continue. We need more of us standing up and saying what we think, sharing our opinions, even if. Some people aren't going to agree with us. That doesn't matter. Um, what we need 
to drive forward now is a different opinion a different point of view and it's only by being brave enough to talk about our diverse <laughs> ranges of points of view and experiences that we're going to be able to actually move the needle for where we've got to get to and it has to be around the future of digital yeah being integrated into this wider field of customer experience so I think we need more collaborations can't wait Agreed. to master class and um hopefully some real food for thought for for the CX community um who have the more traditional CXs let's say so what is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with like one piece of advice or a takeaway from this conversation mm. what would your sentence be um oh gosh put me on the spot um uh I think uh for me it would be that the um that failure is hard at the time but it's probably where you grow the most yes love that that's a great note to end on and thank you so much again I've said it already but for just turning up being yourself sharing with so much honesty and vulnerability um I think you're awesome oh thanks Claire and uh, (laughs) thank you to everyone who is listening um, yeah. Hope you, I hope you stuck with us this far. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Um, so that's it for this week. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Bye, Bye Natasha. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Inspiring Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Muskets. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more about becoming a member of the world's first online community for women in customer experience, please check out www.womenincx.community forward slash membership. Join us again next time where I'll be talking to one of our community members from London about leveraging the alignment between marketing and customer experience in B2B. See you all soon.